Root Simple Podcast. Low tech, home tech. Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knutson, and Kelly Coyne. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Ec for a Post-Consumer World. In episode 22, I have a conversation with outlaw baker Mark Stambler about the origins of California's cottage food bill. Cottage food laws in the United States allow small-scale entrepreneurs to make what are called non-hazardous foods, such as jams, cakes, and bread, in a home kitchen and sell them at farmers' markets and retail locations. Mark was instrumental in getting California's Cottage Food Bill, AB 1616, passed in 2013. Welcome, Mark, to the Root Simple podcast. Thank you very much, Eric. I'm very, very happy to be here. So tell me, Mark, the story of how you first got interested in baking bread. Oh, wow, that goes back. Um, my mom was uh, quite a baker, but she only baked pastries and refused to bake bread. But I did bake a lot of pastry with her um, when I was growing up. But when I left home and was living on my own in Boston, uh, I had become a vegetarian and uh soon realized that at that time to be a vegetarian uh, and have any chance of uh, eating, uh, having a decent idea, basically I had to learn to cook. So I bought some cookbooks and one of them, The Vegetarian Epicure, which is a brilliant vegetarian cookbook, or at least of its time, um, had a whole section on bread baking. And so I just worked my way through Anna Thomas's chapter on bread baking and uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit, and I also thought that this would be a really, really good way to meet girls. <laughs> that didn't work out so well, but I did learn how to bake bread, and I've been baking on and off ever since. And this was the, I hate to age us, or oh, you, geez. but this was the <clears throat> 1970s, was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, believe it or not. It was uh, it was the early 70s. So and this was the era when bread wasn't? wasn't real good out there, was it? You had no. to, this is why you kind of had to make it yourself in order to... Indeed, indeed. And as I say, uh, you know, the, the, the bread that I was baking from the recipes, I wouldn't bake today. It has many too many ingredients. And I mean, there was like milk and they put some eggs in it and they put sugar in it and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that stuff today with a 10 foot ball. It's hippie bread. Yeah, it was it was hippie bread. I mean, it tasted good, and you know, you you put enough commercial yeast in it, it rises, and uh, everything's fine. There was a lot of kneading too, if uh, I remember yeah, correctly, yeah, by yeah, hand. You had to work the dough quite a bit, and um, uh, yeah, as I say, too many ingredients, and and uh, things actually move pretty quickly. I mean, you could do it in like an afternoon because the the, the commercial yeast really worked fast. Uh, and, and it tasted okay. It looked pretty good and tasted all right. Uh, most of them were loaf pans. Uh, later on, uh, I discovered Julia Child. Julia Child has a, in the second volume of uh, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, she has a wonderful chapter on French bread. And so that was a huge step forward for me because I realized that you did not have to have all those ingredients. There were different techniques that you could use and create a wonderful loaf of bread. Uh, and then the next step beyond that was getting rid of commercial yeast, which 
you don't need at all, so to speak. Um, I, I can't remember the book that I, or how I found out about using a starter, but I just, uh, once I made that step, I just, I didn't look back. I mean, it was just a huge difference, and the quality of the bread was, increased uh, tremendously, in, in my humble opinion. And uh, and then from there, I went to uh, freshly milled flour, which made a big difference. And uh, in my way of thinking, and, and, and some people may think this gets uh, goes a little bit off the, uh, the deep end, but uh, distilled water, I think that's another important point in making really, really good bread. Because water adds its own, believe it or not, adds its own flavor to bread. And uh, so I only use distilled water because it has absolutely no no taste whatsoever and uh uh yeah and i i just enjoy it and i've i've enjoyed it for many years and uh i got good enough at it so that um i thought well let me see if i can get some recognition and i entered it into the la county fair and won the blue ribbon mm-hmm. and I, I i got you know okay my 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 head inflated a little bit at that and so i thought well all right now i'll enter the state fair and see what happens with well, state fair in sacramento and I'll, I'll i'll make this part of the story quick but no no it was no. one of those things where you know i uh of the other i had built a a brick oven in my backyard and uh well, with, with the help of my good friend Holly Davis, the two of us spent about six months building this thing in the backyard. And now it was a wood-fired brick oven. And I started baking in there, and, and the loaves were just coming out really, really well. So that's when I entered those loaves in the, uh, the county fair and then, again, in the state fair. What that meant is I had to pull the loaves out of the oven, catch the first flight from Burbank to Sacramento with warm bread, and uh, rent a car, drive across Sacramento, drop the loaves off at the state fairgrounds because they had to be there by you know, like 10.30 in the morning and then drive back to Los Angeles. And a couple months later, they sent me a little ribbon in the mail. That was really nice. So you weren't there? There wasn't a kind no, of tense? No, I mean, I, I, I had worked, you know, like I was working, earning real money, so I couldn't take the day off from work. So I just dropped it off and then got back to L.A. as quickly as I could so I could go back to work. And I'm sorry, did you win a ribbon at the state fair, yeah. too? Yeah, they sent it to me in the mail. They sent me this ribbon. They sent me the blue ribbon in the mail. So, um, I, you know, I looked online at before then and, and noted that I had won. But they did the judging that afternoon, and I just couldn't, I couldn't stay the entire day for the judging. Now, was winning these ribbons the impetus for you to start selling, well, baking and selling your own bread? I, let me put it this way. I think if I hadn't won anything, I probably would have thought twice about doing it. But after, you know, with the oven and winning a couple of ribbons, I thought, oh, let's see what happens. I mean, I wasn't planning to uh, corner the market in bread or anything. I just wanted to see if a couple of local shops might carry it and, you know, I could make a few extra bucks. And so tell me the story of that. You went into these shops and you said, I'm this home baker. and <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I said, look, I, uh, you know, I... I uh, well, all right. I went into one shop. Well, I went into the, the, the cheese store that was actually closest to my home. I could walk there and still can walk there from my home. And I said, look, here's my bread. I bake it, you know, um, and, you know, try it and see what you think. And the guy who owns the shop said, you know, he tried it. And he said, this is great. 
And I said, well, I'd like to sell at your shop. And uh, he said, that's fine. I'd be happy to carry your bread. And I said, well, you know, and I make it at home. And he said, um, I don't think we can do that. And I said, uh, oh, all right. And uh, why not? He said, well, I don't think it's legal to sell anything you make at home. And I said, do you have, do you have a permit? Or I said, do you have a permit for this? And I said, well, no, I don't have any permits. I just, you know, bake it at home. And he said, well, I'm not sure that we can carry it. So I went to another store, and I said, here, here's my homemade bread. What do you think? And he tried it, and he said, this is fantastic. I really, really like it. And I said, what about the permit? And he said, oh, don't worry about the permit. It'll be fine. No, you know, the health inspector's never going to come around here. And, and, um, you know, I said, okay, well, thanks. And then another couple of shops started heard about it that that you know that this first guy was carrying my bread, so they figured it was okay, so they started carrying it as well, and everything was fine. I mean, I was just you know baking bread at home and driving it over to these shops and dropping them off, or you know, like once a week or something like yeah, that. Yeah, once or? a week at each one of these. I think once there was, uh, I think that in the cheese store at Silver Lake they wanted twice a week or something, but it, it wasn't very much. It was just a few loaves and a few shops. And everybody was happy, and everybody loved it, and nobody, you know, said anything, and that, and so, and life was pretty much ideal. And this went on for quite a while, right? You were just yeah, you it was there at least baking your bread in yeah, the in the uh, wood fired oven here, and taking mm-hmm. it over once a week, yeah. and, and, and and then what happened? Well, and then the blogosphere started to find out about it, and there were a lot of food bloggers in Los Angeles, and there was they discovered that there was this mysterious guy in silver lake or las Feliz making this this bread this really good bread that's only available once a week at these you know shops these local shops so they started you know like i was blah you know i uh, people started just comparing notes about it and everything and um uh, somebody even managed to track me down and wanted me to teach them how to be. It was and it was difficult to track me down because they weren't really going to give out my address or phone number or anything. So, um, but then what happened is after all there was all this chatter on the blogosphere uh, and the blogosphere about my bread, the L.A. Times found out about it, and a reporter for the L.A. the food section for the L.A. Times called me and said, uh, "We want to do an article about you," and I said. Um, well, uh, okay, it would certainly be nice to have a full-page article about me in the L.A. Times food section, yes. But I don't want to get anybody in trouble. I mean, I, I, I understand that there could be some problems with, um, for the people who sell my bread if I don't have a permit to sell this. So what I'd like you to do is... Do an article about me, but don't let anybody know where to get my bread because I don't want to get the shopkeepers in trouble. And uh, she said, okay, that sounds fine. We can do that. And so you know, she came out and you know, followed me around. They had a photographer who came out and did all that. And, and then um, I kept asking her, when's it going to be published? When's it going to be published? She said, oh, we've got to postpone it, postpone it. Uh, and then finally she called me and said, it's coming out next week. And, you know, a week from Thursday, it'll be in the food section. That's when LA Times had a Thursday food section. And, but that's the good news. The bad news is my editor says that we have to let people know where to buy your bread. It's just, that's the way it works. I mean, uh, and, and there's no way around it. And I, I said, well, you know, if you don't do it, 
if you don't let them know, what happens? He said, well, we won't run the article. I said, oh, well, in that case, um, but then I thought, oh, well, it sure would be nice to have a full-page article in the LA Times. So I said, okay, okay, run it and, you know, with where you can buy my bread. So it came out, I think, on the first Thursday in June of 2011, and my bread was only available on Fridays at the cheese store Silver Lake. Um, so the next day, uh, well, I called when it came out on Thursday. I called the owner and I said, "You know, I'm you see this full page article. Maybe I should bring some more bread on, you know, a larger quantity of bread on Friday." And he said, "Sure." So I brought all these loaves over on Friday morning, and there was a line out the door, and they sold out almost immediately. And like the last people in line were these two, and and of course what I did is I I I laminated the article for the L.A. Times and put it in the window of the of the cheese store of Silver Lake, and uh, so the last two people in line apparently were these two women who just stood and read the article and looked inside and talked to each other, and finally this I'm getting this from the the owner because uh, I wasn't there, so they went in and asked to buy a loaf of my bread, but there was no, they'd, they'd sold out. But so they were, and then they identified themselves as, as um, from the health department, inspection from the health department, and said, look, you cannot sell Mark Stambler's bread. It is absolutely illegal what he's doing. And, um, and while we're here, we don't like the look of those cheeses. And so they started throwing out his cheeses as well, and uh, they really got into it. And um, but that's another story. And, um, and then they went to the other shop that was carrying my bread and did the same thing there. And uh, so I figured, look, I better uh, I, I better see what I can do about becoming legitimate. But and, then they came to the house. Too. Well, that's 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 uh, they came to the house. Uh, all right, here's that story, the best I can my recollection. That was one Friday. And then during the next week, um, I decided I would try to figure out a way where I could get a permit and do it legitimately. And in doing so, I called the so I called the health department. Well, let's step up back for a second. Yeah. So this happened. Basically, the raid on your bread happened. Right. How did you feel that night when you found out all about this? Well, I was kind of bewildered, really. But the, the, I'm, I'm just kind of leading up to that because it's sort of a two, two-part answer to that. Because after that Friday, um, and as I say, I'm trying to reconstruct this in my mind. And uh, so I did some research and started working with the health department to see what I could do to do this legitimately. Uh, and I, may, I even went as far as to make an appointment at the health department to talk about how to get a permit um, through another bakery and all that stuff. So I, uh, the following Friday, I basically had a, the idea was to bake your bread at a bakery somewhere, else. not in your home kitchen, not exactly. and then get a permit. Absolutely, absolutely. So I went to the health department the following Friday morning early because I had an appointment to talk to them to go over some plans and figure out how to do, a, you know, to bake my bread at another bakery. I come home from that appointment at the health department, and my wife says to me, oh, the health department was here. 
And I said, well, cut it out. You know, why, why are you, stop kidding around. And she said, no, they really, they, that I was, you know, she was getting ready for work. She was upstairs in the shower. The knock comes out the door. She looks out the bathroom window and there's this woman standing at the front door. And so she calls down and says, yeah, can I help you? And she said, well, I'm from the health department. I want to come in. And, you know, poor Suzette. I mean, she didn't know what the hell to do. Somebody from the health department showing up unannounced on their front door at like eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, had no idea what, what was going on. And, um, I, th- I hate to admit this, but I think this was like before I had a cell phone, kind of a late adopter there. So she didn't have any way to get in touch with me. And so she just made a judgment and said, well, okay, come on in. So she asked her why she was here. And the inspector, uh, who was the same inspector, by the way, who, who went to the, the cheese store at Silver Lake the, the week before, said she had to inspect our house to make sure there was no bread baking going on. I said, okay. So she came in and uh, luckily I wasn't baking any bread right then. Didn't have anything rising or anything. Um, and and uh, she was satisfied and left. But when my wife told me that she came to our home to inspect unannounced, it was that point that I realized I, I, I got angry. And I realized, okay, I'm going to have to do something because this just isn't right. I mean, just to have a health inspector show up at your door unannounced at eight o'clock on a Friday morning, you know, it's all right if they, you know, they're doing something about to me personally over this, but when they kind of, when they get my family involved, it's just, that's not right. So I did at that point, I did what any reasonable person in my situation would do. I Googled it. I, <laughs> and I just typed in, you know, homemade, selling homemade food in California or something like that. And I got no hits. And then, you know, selling homemade food in the United States. And I quickly discovered that the, at that time, there were 18 states in the U.S. that permitted the sale of homemade food. But California wasn't one of them. So I looked at the other websites of the other states to see what was involved. And some of their laws were, you know, really simple and seemed to be, you know, pretty generous and open. It didn't really seem to matter what you were going to be making at home. Um, You could sell it. I mean, I think Illinois in particular, for some reason, was like a really short and sweet and good law. Um, So um, I, there I said, all right, well, looks like uh, we're going to have to do a state law somehow. But I had no idea how to do a, write a state law or how to get past a state law, what was even involved in statewide legislation and politics. I, I, you know, I, never, I didn't even know who represented me in the California legislature. I, I, I hadn't, didn't have a clue. So, um, But again, going back to Google and the Internet, digging a little deeper, I found that there was a group up in Oakland – that was uh, addressing issues, sort of the same issues. I mean, basically, they wanted to have community control over economic production. And one of the things they were interested in was home baking, or or making food at home, I should say. 
And so uh, it was the Sustainable Economies Law Center. And I like the idea that there was law in there. I figured, oh, maybe there's lawyers up there that can help. And they're interested in food issues, too, in general, Very much so, very much so. But um, it's not just food issues. It's like everything related to uh, economic uh, development at at the neighborhood level. I mean, that's, that's their bread and butter, so to speak. So I called them up, and I spoke to uh, Janelle Orsi, who runs it, and she said, yes, this is exactly the sort of thing we're interested in. Let's see what we can do together to get uh, get a law written and passed. And so, you know, I said, okay, um, what's our first step? And she said, I guess the first step is to write a piece of legislation. Now, are, I, you, are you, st- by the way, are you still angry at this point, or is it kind oh, of subsided? And oh, now you're, well, you're it's your also Mr. two, Smith three years to, ago now. It's kind of hard to remember exactly you're your the way Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah, though, it's at like, this point. yeah, you know, I, I knew that there was a, this was a problem, it was a challenge, and I knew that there was some way to fix it. And, and, and I, I had no idea what that would be, but I thought, uh, let's give it a shot and see what happens. Um, so I figured, you know, we, Janelle and I decided that the first step was to write a piece of legislation. So I remember this conversation vividly. I said, uh, okay, great. We'll write a, legi- we'll write a piece of legislation. Uh, you're a lawyer. Um, you must know how to write legislation. And she said, no, I don't know how to write legislation. You work with nonprofits in, in Los Angeles. You must know how to write legislation. I said, I don't have the faintest idea how to write legislation. What do we do? And she said, well, go look at some of the other states' laws, and then what we'll do is maybe we'll just do a search and replace. And, you know, where, where, where there was Illinois, we'll do California. And, you know, maybe it's that, that easy. And then, I don't know, we'll just go to Sacramento and talk to people about it. And I said, well, all right, well, I'll get started. And a few days later, it really was just a few days later, I was sitting at the word processor trying to figure out how to translate Illinois' law into California's law when my phone rings. And I answer, I said, hi, you know. It's like, hi, I'm Mike Gatto. And I said, oh, okay, great. I said, I represent you in the California State Assembly. Oh, I knew that. Uh, yeah, Mike, hi, how are you? He said, <laughs> I said it was very difficult to get in touch with you, um, but I'm glad I did. I hear you're having some problems with uh, the California. You want to, uh, you know, uh, I read about you in the or heard about you. Or I don't know. At that point, some, I got some media attention for being busted. So he said, look, I want to help. What can I do to help? And I said, well, I'm really glad you called, Mike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I need to write a law. Uh, you know, I don't know how to do this. And he said, no problem. It's my job. We write laws. What I'll do is I'll assign a couple of people on my staff to work with you to see this whole process through, and we'll we'll get it done. And I'll you know I'll sponsor it, and, and we'll do our damnedest to get it passed. I said thank you. <laughs> now, and, why do you think you know, Mike Gatto represents a lot of people? Well, he's a big state. Why do you think it was that he was interested in this issue? Well, he re- does represent me, and in, in, he's Assembly District 44, and uh, he had heard about my plight, and it was exactly the kind of transgression that really riled a lot of people, that the state would, would prohibit so, a small entrepreneur like me from uh, basically trying to make a little money. And 
that really wasn't the, the spirit of California at the time. Well, there was a, the, the economic depression was uh, kind of still yeah. on at the time, it, it, right? It and, was. It certainly was. And yeah. um, it's sort of a bipartisan kind of issue, too, uh, I think. Yes. It's, um, everybody can get behind it. I mean, uh, that's to jump ahead a little bit, that's what we discovered as we were trying to, to, to get support for this in the Assembly. Uh, and later the Senate. It's just, uh, as I say, we're jumping. Well, I'll, I'll move, move it along pretty quickly. Um, we did work with a couple of wonderful people in Mike Gatto's office, and we all wrote it together, and they guided us every step of the way in how to do this, and, and we could not have done it without them. And uh, so it really was a group effort with the Sustainable Economies Law Center, uh, the Los Angeles Bread Bakers, and me, and, uh, and Mike Gatto's staff. And um, part of the process after we wrote the thing, and it went through endless revisions because everybody had to look at it, and again, we had to get the approval of all the people in the appropriate uh, committees, and then um, the, there's, there's a group called the CCDEH, the California Conference of Directors of Environmental Health, and they had to approve it as well, or at least not oppose it. And then we had to line up the votes. So towards the end of the process, which took about 18 months, um, we had to visit um, assembly, state senators and assembly members uh, to convince them to vote for our bill. And I'm, I'm not kidding you. Every time we met with one of these uh, legislators, they all either had a relative or a friend who wanted to do exactly the same thing. They all had this wonderful recipe for something or other, and they wanted to start off by making it at home, and they never could understand why it was illegal. And so, and it, you know, we, we assumed that, be, well, because Mike Gatto is a Democrat, and the Democrats run both houses of the legislature, that we would probably get all the, 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 most of the Democratic votes, but we were, weren't so sure about the Republicans. But the Republicans were completely gung-ho on this. Once we explained to them that prohibition is the ultimate regulation, that if you do not allow it at all, then it, you know, it, it's, it's the supreme regulation. I mean, that's it. So they voted for it as well, and it passed uh, after – it was a lot of work. I mean, it was a lot of trips to Sacramento – uh, speaking to uh, committees there and r spending a few, not too many days, thank God, but a few days running around the Capitol building, going from office to office to office to talk to the people up there, uh, and then participating in endless conference calls with the, uh, all the, there are, there are 58 counties in California. They each have a director of environmental health, and once a month or so, they all get on the phone together. And so you have like 58 people on a conference call. <sighs> well, there must, were there any significant obstacles? I mean, was there any yeah. point where you thought, well, this isn't going to happen? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Along the way, I mean, the largest, um, the largest voice against it was the CCDEH. And there was there's another the group. Directors. And those are the health directors. And then there's also this food safety coalition. And the food safety coalition is not just the health directors, though. They're represented on it. It's also the large supermarkets. And uh, they, we knew that if either one of those two groups opposed it, it would be much harder 
to to get legislators to vote for it. And why do you think it is the grocery store folks didn't want this? Uh, well, they saw any any small food producers as they must have seen it as some kind of competition, which is absolutely absurd. But um, what they insisted upon is that we have these limits on income. Uh, I, the first year. I think was thirty five thousand, and that's the gross amount you could make was thirty five thousand, and then forty thousand, and then I think it goes up to fifty thousand after the third year or whatever. And when I heard that they wanted to put limits on this, I thought that was absolutely absurd because if anybody making food at home could generate fifty thousand dollars worth of income, um, yeah, they should be moving to a bigger place to do that because, you know, home kitchens are not set up to do $50,000 worth of business. You just, I mean, to put it bluntly, you don't have the counter space for it. There's no storage space. I mean, these, these, these spaces are much, much too small. But they insisted, all right. But what really hit us hardest was when they said, we have we will only allow the following foods to be made at home and these are as i said the 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 list of not potentially hazardous foods and what they did is they took what i would consider to be sort of the lowest common denominator list that was in circulation around the country because remember this did take about 18 months to pass and when we started the process there were only 18 states that had food laws on the books. Um, but by the time we were nearing the end of it, they were, you know, 26, 27. So states all across the country, you know, big states, little states, northwest, east, south, all states all over were just passing bills that legalized this stuff. Uh, and there was no really no guidance at the federal level as to how to do this. So each state had to come up with its own. And then I think there was uh, sort of a trade group out there that published some guidelines that many of the states were using. And they had this list of what they considered to be not potentially hazardous foods. And it was a fairly short list. So the ironic thing is that when we first started writing this legislation, I mean, I got to write the preamble for it, which I loved. Because it's the preamble. You basically can you know, espouse all your beliefs and your hopes. and all Pursuit the, of liberty. Like all that truth, stuff. All that and kind of the pursuit of liberty and the defeat of Monsanto. You know, right. all that stuff. So I, I, you know, I just I, I let loose. And just you know, and we wanted to have local control of the food of you know food systems, and we were going to increase you know the quality and the healthful content of the food and all. That. And it went on, you know, all right, all right. It went on for a few pages. We cut out most of it, and then when we saw the list of foods that they would permit, um, we realized this is not a health food bill at all. I mean, it is not going to increase the, 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 the health of the food supply in, in California or anywhere else this is implemented because there's no, no fresh fruits or vegetables are allowed. Um, most of the, the items on this list are filled with sugar because, you know, sugar will kill any bacteria, positive or negative, and it's, you know... I kind of got the inkling that, of the, well, just as a sort of a sidebar to this, 
I met, uh, you know, when I was in Sacramento and, and, and also through email and, and stuff, I, I, I was in contact with a lot of people around the state who were very, very anxious for this bill to pass because they wanted to get started on their home-based food business. And I quickly got a sense of who these people were um, who really, really needed it more than anybody else. It was young moms. Um, which is fine. I mean, but uh, they all had uh, cake-making businesses, and they all were really good at baking and decorating cakes, uh, but they couldn't afford, uh, or they, well, they would do it, they would do it in a bakery sometime. They would rent space in a commercial bakery, but then they had to, A, do it in the middle of the night, uh, because that's the time when the bakery bakers weren't, you know, using it as much, so that they, there was space available in the middle of the night. So they had to, you know, get a babysitter to uh, to look after their kids, uh, and uh, you know, then they 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 didn't they couldn't make any money. They couldn't make any money. So they they said they all realized that the solution was just to be able to do it in their own home kitchen. And so we had several of them, and they, and they were wonderful advocates for this because, you know, as a leg- what legislator could say no to a mom who wants to stay home and make a few extra bucks and look after her kids? I, I, it, it was great. I mean, you know, so, so they were very, very helpful in getting this passed. And now, really, um, I, I would say the majority of people around the state who are taking advantage of this law are people who are making cakes and, and pies and, and cookies and things, uh, because that's really what's permitted under this bill. But towards the end of this process, when we realized that the, um, you know, the list wasn't going to be very long, um, we, and it wasn't just me, it was also, you know, the people at the Sustainable Economies Law Center, the lawyers up there, we decided that there had to be some kind of mechanism uh, in the legislation that people could follow in order to add items to the list of not potentially hazardous foods. Uh, and we got the California Department of Public Health, CDPH, you know, to agree to this. Uh, and now there is. I mean, if you go to the website, that's the California state website that's devoted to the cottage food law, you'll see that there are instructions for how to uh, to, to get additional items on the list. And there were additional things like coffee and honey that, that yes. ended up on there, too. Well, c- yes, coffee. And, and, yeah, honey did make the list, didn't it? I, I think mean, it did, yeah. Okay. And there was and granola and f- dried fruit and, you know, anything that has uh, – they were doing it on the basis of active water content, so everything that had an active water content below a certain level. And the, the active water content really has to be – if it's not on the list, it has to be certified by – I think UC Davis has to do an analysis of it to see what – and and then if they – they forward the results to California Department of Public Health, and if everybody says it's okay, then they'll add it to the list. But back to the law, so it passes yeah. with a few little things here and there, but it, basically you were happy with, with how it turned out, I take it. But the yes. struggle wasn't over at that point, because then it had to be implemented. And I remember there were some the bumps in the road there, too, with, with a few of the health departments. Y- yes. Remember that it, even though it's a state law, 
the counties are in charge of implementing it. And so uh, with 58 counties, there are 58 different directors of environmental health, some of whom, as I could tell from the conference calls that we had with all of them, some of whom really supported it. And in fact, I want to you know, shout out now to Angelo Bolomo, who is the director of environmental health for Los Angeles County, the largest, most populous county in California, who was very much in favor of this and who recognized early on that it was important for California and California's economy and Los Angeles County to have a law like this on the books so that uh, people could indeed start making food at home and it could be regulated by the counties. Now, they've done, I think, more work in, uh, in this regard than some of the other counties because he said we've got to keep the fees reasonable. And uh, so there's a two-tier process, health uh, permit process now. I mean, if you're going to be selling uh, directly to consumers at farmers markets, uh, etc., it's a much lower rate uh, because they don't have to come out to inspect your kitchen. If you're going to be selling indirectly, that is through stores and and uh, other outlets like that, uh, you have to have somebody come once a year and inspect your kitchen, and they charge a higher rate. Now, how much they charge is up to how much they charge is up to the county, each individual county. In Los Angeles, it's quite reasonable. And in fact, if I'm, hmm. it's in the eighty to one hundred and fifty. Well, it's, depending yeah, on the... it's it's like around a hundred for one. And I know it's. I just paid two fifty four to renew mine. So, but that's the Class B permit, which is indirect sales. But I, you know, having observed this, I think it has to be said that you had a really good relationship with the health department. Absolutely, and that Absolutely. was. You know, if there's some advice for people that you might have passing any kind of legislation, because the, the kind of people listening to this podcast, you know, maybe they have chickens, they have bees, maybe they're interested in <laughs> cottage food stuff, but there's right. always some sort of interaction with the government. With the health and, department. Or the yeah. health department yeah, or yeah, some yeah. other official. Yeah. And I, you know, having observed this from afar, I admired the way that you handled the health department here. And it seemed to yes. be that you had a good relationship Ab- with Absolutely, them. absolutely. I felt early on, I mean, we go all the way back to, you know, the, the health department's surprise inspection of my home. Um, I still decided that something had to be done, but at the same time, I should become best friends with the health department. So I made a real effort. And I went, it was, it was hard, but I eventually made it all the way to the top. Uh, there was, it's a big department. There's a lot of uh, levels of bureaucracy. And I talked my way all the way up them to Angelo Bolomo. Uh, because when he realized that I was going to be doing a state law that was, going to, was really going to affect his department, he made a point of meeting me and sitting down and talking to me about it and telling me what he thought should be in the law. And I said, you know, these all sound very reasonable. I sent him drafts of what we were doing, and we talked about it. Uh, he helped me set up this, this two-tier structure, uh, and, you know, and it was great. And we still have a good relationship to this day. Uh, so, yeah, my advice is, uh, oh, well, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a bit. I'll get back to the advice in a second. But I have heard from other people in other counties that it does vary widely from county to county um, in a couple of respects. One is how much they charge. I mean, some places, it's like three or four times what they charge in Los Angeles. And under the terms of the legislation, they're supposed to only cover their costs in sending somebody out to inspect. 
and eh, which is reasonable. But how much does it cost to send somebody out to inspect your home? It seems, you know, uh, out really out of line to charge what some of these counties are charging. And then to add insult to injury, they just make it so hard to get a permit. I mean, really, they should all just have something online uh, where you can fill out a form online and send it in. It's not that difficult. Uh, but some of the people who run the health departments, just they just don't like the idea of people being able to make food at home. As Oh, that's another thing that reminded me, um, because in the discussions that they were having in these, in these conference calls, they're more from the rural counties than, than the urban counties in California. There aren't that many urban counties in California, really. But um, they really expressed reservations, real reservations, about inspecting home kitchens. They didn't like that idea. They just didn't like the, you know, it gave them the willies to go into people's homes. I know that people who are actually making food at home think, oh my God, these health inspectors are just out there, you know, raring to get in. But really, it, it's, it's it's confusing to them. Yes, right? and it's very seen, uncomfortable. They've never seen a litter box or uh, you know, <laughs> well, in the kitchen anyway. But things, right. uh, yeah, I remember the first couple of times. Well, no, the first time I had an inspector come out. Well, they sent two out because uh, they wanted them to learn about this. And I basically had to sit them down and go through the inspector pro inspection process with them. They were very young. I don't think they'd been inspecting much at all. Um, but, you know, we got along well enough. And then the, the following year, they sent somebody else who had more um, – was more on the ball and new and, and but he was still very very nice and very um you know uh, genial and we sat and chatted for a while and you know he looked around and inspected what he was supposed to inspect and you know that was fine and um oh god i guess i can tell this i'll tell this story on your <laughs> podcast oh geez this is an exclusive yeah it's an exclusive never heard before but uh so three weeks ago i was in the middle of uh you know getting uh, shaping loaves and a knock comes at the door, and I open the door, and there's this guy standing there, and I sort of flashback, woo! And he said, "Oh, I'm from the health department," and I, you know, do this double take, and I said, "Oh, you can't come in," and he said, "Well, why? I'm here to inspect," and he said, and I said, "No, no, I know. Look, I wrote the legislation. I know that you have to call <laughs> and make an appointment before you come in and inspect my home kitchen. You can't do this. What you're trying to do now is absolutely illegal." And, you know, and then he did the double take and he said, oh, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't know. OK, well, um, here's my card. Um, let's let's be in touch. So remember, this was like three years after the, I was originally busted or more than three years and all this stuff. And so I thought, you know, my recollection of the law isn't as clear as maybe as it should be. Maybe I should just go take a look. So because I because I definitely remember that there was a paragraph in there about they had to you know, call and stuff. So I went back and I looked and I read the law over and over again. And I couldn't find the damn paragraph. Uh, but then I looked at earlier versions of the legislation and it was in earlier versions of the legislation, but it had been, it was deleted from the final version. Ooh. So now they're allowed to make surprise yes, inspections. They, they, yes. Well, let me put it this way. I mean, and I, I, I sent him this very apologetic email and called and, and made an appointment. And he came back uh, a, a week and a half later at, at the appointed time, I might add. And uh, 
had a very nice visit. We talked about the cottage food law. He inspected my kitchen, and you know he was he, he was quite nice. And but he did tell me, and this leads up to what's going on now with cottage food, that he does inspect a lot of home kitchens uh, for for the cottage food law, but he says he wastes a lot of time doing it because uh, it's not like it's a commercial kitchen. People aren't necessarily home during business hours making the food that they're supposed to. Most, look, I know from firsthand experience that you have to have another job in order to survive to do this. You're not going to, at least I am not going to make in the foreseeable future enough money doing this. In fact, I've got to start doing but we'll we got to get it, you your bread baking. yeah i've got to get my bread baking, bread baking. Bread but, baking. but I'll, we'll finish this up and then i'll start baking bread but um yeah he said he often is not he'll go to a home to do unannounced do one of these inspections and nobody's there i mean it's just yeah right they're at work they're earning a living you know they probably do it at night when they get home um or he said that um, he'll knock on the door. Somebody will be there, and they'll say, "No, we, you know, you've got old records there. We're not, we're not in business anymore." So he's he said he's found that there are a lot of businesses that signed up to get their permit the first year, but they're not renewing their permits because uh, you know, I, I know from a fact that it's it's hard. It's a hard way to make a living. I mean, I I, I work very very hard to to make to make this bread. But it's considerably easier to make bread than it is to sell it. I mean, selling just the whole marketing and selling that goes on with trying to get a business up and going is really tough. Probably any cottage food business, not Absolutely. just bread, right? There's no question about it. There, you know, there are more opportunities to, to sell, but bread is such a perishable product, too. I mean, I have to... If you know, I bring it to a market or bring it to a CSA or something like that, it has to be fresh, like right out of the oven. So, um, you know, I, I admire those people that are doing preserves and you know cakes and things. You know, they've got they've got something of a shelf life. But I've you know, people want stuff that's right out of the oven when it comes to bread, and it's tough. It's tough, but it's rewarding. I mean, I look, I wouldn't go through all this trouble if I didn't enjoy it and I didn't get some positive feedback. Um, so. Um, I'll, I'll keep doing it. And it looks like you've given a nice kind of blueprint for how to change the world here, right? It seems like uh, <laughs> first you uh, get in trouble and then you contact a public interest law firm. That seems like a nice mm -hmm. first step. And then someone helps you with the legislation, a local legislator. And then at the same time, you actually maintained a positive relationship with the people that would end up enforcing it, which also Absolutely. seemed to be a smart thing about, about what you did. How do you feel about the whole process looking back on it? Is this something you're proud of um oh absolutely of and... i i really am i think that that um well let me let me let me put it this way i mean i'll be the first to admit that at this point i don't have a lot of contact with people throughout the state who are are and you know started started cottage food operations we call them cfos cottage food operators but there are a couple of websites where you know people are talking about their experiences and uh if I think that there's like somebody's done, already done some research on this, and there are several thousand people throughout the state of California who are actually doing this, or at least have permits, and uh, that's that's quite gratifying to me. I mean, 
I, I did, my attitude towards this whole process really did evolve as I was going through it. I mean, it first did start off with a big chip on my shoulder saying, all right, you know, how can they do this to me? I'll show them, I'll pass a law and whatever, and then I'll be able to sell my bread. But really it was um, in talking to these young moms who really needed it. I mean, look, I love baking bread and I will keep doing it, but I have a pretty lucrative job where I can, you know, make enough money to get by. Um, I hope to transition out of that and bake bread full time, but who knows? But you know, these there are people who really need it, and if this helped them, that's much more important than whether or not I can do it in the future, because you know I'll be able to get by. But um, if it helped them, that's that what really makes me feel good. And so, towards the end, that's what I was really keeping on. Uh, trying to accomplish something really for them more than for me. Um, Cause I always felt, look, I, you know, I really like baking bread, but if necessary, I could give it up. But there are some people who really, really need to do it and wouldn't be able to give it up. And so it's more important to do it for them. Well, thank you, Mark, for being on the Root Simple podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. That was Mark Stambler. You can find out more about Mark's bread at stamblerbread.com. Is, Stam- am I getting that right? No, stamblersbread. Stamblersbread.com. Yeah. We'll have a note in the show notes about that. Also, Mark and I are the co-founders, along with Teresa Seitz, of the Los Angeles Bread Bakers. Uh, you can find the Los Angeles Bread Bakers on meetup.com. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. We're also on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on rootsimple.com. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.